Building faces as the Lord brings us out here tonight, and we get to finish up the book of Ruth. How about that, huh? Oh, it's been a good study. It went quick, didn't it, Lo? It always goes quick when you go through the Word of God. He just constantly washes our minds and renews our hearts, and just goodness comes out of it. I love it. I love it every time. Well, before I do that, a couple announcements. Um, how many people saw this thing today uh, that said, uh, see all the new coronavirus restrictions in PA is Governor Tom Wolf says a new surge is in the offing. I don't even know what that means. I just know this. I haven't seen a spike, but I, I see he's making the change. Okay. But here's the cool thing. Let me read you. This order also requires businesses to employ telework, if possible, indoor gatherings, and are limited to just 25 people, except religious ones. So I wanted to make sure you guys saw that. Because a couple of people came in and turned around and said, wait a minute. And I said, no, we're not doing that anyway. But, but even still, I turned around and I said, no, it's not in there. And, and by the way, it says outdoor ones can exceed 250. What do you say we do some outdoor services? Huh? How about it? You bring your beach chairs just like we started. In, that's how we started in Calvary Chapel. We used to bring your own chairs. And we used to just kind of meet in an old hardware store. And people brought their chairs. We'll line up the parking lot. And how about our neighbors get saved because the word of God goes for it. Amen? That, maybe we set up a baptistry. Baptize them right on the spot. It'd be beautiful. <laughs> well, with that, go ahead and turn and open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Again, I appreciate all of you that have been praying for me. Uh, uh, keep praying. I, uh, I'm seeking the Lord on these things. Just keep praying. But um, I thank you. I, I feel okay right now, and, and that's by God's leading of his Holy Spirit. And uh, so we'll take one day at a time. Amen? Just like all of us here, one day at a time. So here we are. We've come to this place, and uh, just as a friendly reminder, I know Aaron taught last week in my stat. I was not well. So uh, just as a way of, if you wouldn't mind, kind of a little bit of reminder where we've been in, in, in really this last chapter, what we're going to finish tonight, Lord willing. So Ruth goes and makes a marriage proposal to Boaz. In that custom of the day, she went and, you know, uh, more or less went to the feet, his feet like that, exposed his feet, kind of laid down, you know, at the feet, nothing inappropriate, nothing sexual. How about that? You know, just honest to goodness, wholesome righteousness. And so she turns around and does that. Boaz sees this, and Boaz wakes up <laughs> startled. We get that in the Hebrew, the language. The idea was not like he was like, oh, it's you, Ruth. You know, it's pitch dark. You know, the fire is on the other side of the entire area where they would be doing, you know, the the grain and stuff like that, because they would have to take it. It's called the winnowing. You'd take it and lift it up. The chaff would blow away. The wheat would fall, the grain like that. And so you'd gather all that. And Boaz is going to stay near the grain, because that's where his, you know, uh, wealth is, uh, you might say. But the fire would certainly not be built near the grain. It would be completely on the other side, where a lot of the servants and the workers, they would all gather in that other area, and they'd have a bonfire going and things like because it would be a little cold at night and things like that. So that would be the only light you'd have. They, they didn't have electricity, okay? Most of the time, they didn't have lanterns like that at night that they would light, is not to disturb somebody else. So here Boaz, as he's off, and you know, at that time, you know, think of a CEO today, right? Uh, a CEO laying with the grain. Right? We, we, don't, we don't see that today, do we? But the idea that here he is, he's, he's laying and he's, he's sort of guarding that grain. <clears throat> and he's standing out there, or laying out there, and all of a sudden, you know, Ruth comes up and just gently lays at his feet. 
he wakes up and gets startled. A kind of a who's that, who's there moment. And after his heart came back to a normal, normal rhythm and his pulse came back to normal, he says, what are you doing? And she makes a marriage proposal. And she uses similar words of a covering, the very thing that Boaz in earlier chapters had said, you know, let me be, you know, let me be that covering. Let me, let me establish that covering by sending you home with grain, not just for you, but for Naomi, because God is our provider. And we see that type in Boaz, that caring, that loving, and that provider. And so this marriage proposal is made. Boaz says, Ruth, I love every aspect of that, because I'm sure by this time he had already had dinner with her. There's, that was intimacy. Dinner is intimacy with people. You know, it's very much in the culture even today. And so he turns around. He says, but there's one. There's one closer than I. He didn't try to outwit it. He didn't try to intellectually manipulate. Please, these are important things because it's a contrast to what we see today. If you saw someone that you were attracted to and you know that there was somebody else that was closer in line, whether it was an ex-boyfriend or somebody that was getting ready to get, you might figure out ways to keep them apart, right? Not Boaz. Boaz is going to demonstrate once again true righteousness, a real gentleman just like Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're going to pick up. He says that he gave his word to Ruth that he would handle the matter, and he gave her a token. He took back, you know, with Ruth, she took back. They both headed back to the city, but she takes this enormity of grain. And, and so much that when she walks into Naomi's house, how, Naomi's kind of like, how'd it go? How'd it go? You know, what, what happened? Spill. What happened? And you see this, you know, this more or less kerchief or whatever you want to call it at that point, full of grain. Went good. Got a lot of grain. If grain says anything, this was good. So they knew, right? They turned around, and I guess that was the love language of that day. All right? No, I'm, I'm having fun a little bit. But at, at that point, now Boaz is about to go to do the hard work. He's now going to go to the gates. Please remember this is occurring during the time of the judges. Just like when we go into 1 Samuel, we're still in the time of the judges for the first so many chapters. And then we move into the time of the prophets, right? Samuel is going to be the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. So please understand, just as we're, we're kind of anchoring ourselves in this here, this is still the time of the judges. We just finished the book of Judges. There are not a lot of righteous men and, and women walking around. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And where are they about to gather? At the gates. Just think about that for a minute. The gates. What, what, what is the gates? Do we go to the gates today? No. What is that? That's the idea where uh, legal matters were handled. Matters of uh, official business were handled. They would gather together, and they would gather at least 10. That would often be what was required to establish a synagogue. So 10 men would be present, also signifying 10 tribes at least. Okay, So they would gather this together so that there was enough of a you know, a gathering, and they would begin to discuss this business. So here it is, verse 1, now picking up. You all with me, tracking with me? All right, let's pray, and we'll begin. Father, we thank you. Lord, I pray that your holy word just touches our hearts here tonight as we, Lord, as we see what it looks like when 
We see the type that you set before us in Boaz, Lord, that was always pointing to who would be our true kinsman redeemer, you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we can't read this book and not see you in it, Jesus, all the way through it. God, may we have hearts like Boaz. God, I believe in every generation, every generation, every people, there's a Naomi, there's a Ruth, and there's a Boaz, Lord. Even here tonight, God, let us be Boaz's, Lord. Let us stand in righteousness, even if the rest of the nation is wicked, Lord. Just as the time of the judges and they're doing wickedness, let us stand in righteousness, Lord. Lord, let ladies be wise like Naomi. Patient, humble like Ruth. Oh, just beautiful countenance, Lord. Not striving, but rejoicing, Lord. Trusting in you. A beautiful example for all of us today. Lord, raise up more Ruth's, Naomi, and Boaz's, Lord. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. Makes you think about the idea of what we read in Scripture, the gates of what? Hell will not prevail against the church. Did you ever think about why that was the Scripture that was used? The gates of hell? What is it about the gates? That's where the officiating was done. That's where the magistrates were. That's where the judgment occurred. What was being communicated to us, and we see it right before us here in verse 1, and what we read in our New Testament is a pointing back to the fact that, that the gates of hell, that the principalities and powers and the demons and the demonic and all of it will never come against God's righteousness and his bride. Never, ever. God won't allow it. Even in spite of the nation, if the nation is completely evil, he will always have a remnant. Many of us could be Elijah. Lord, I am the only one. No. No, there's always a remnant. Remember when God said that? Oh, my prophets are here. I've, I forgot how many. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. We lose some of this in the translation. In the original Hebrew, it's, it's, it's far more significant. What it's saying is, oh, and by the way, I happen to just coincidentally be sitting at the gate, and the very relative that has that line, that first in line, just happens to, of course, by coincidence, just walk by while I happen to be sitting at the gates. There is no such thing as coincidence. This is divine. God has gone before Ruth this whole time, demonstrating what it is that when you have a submitted and surrendered heart, whether you are a Gentile or a Jew, that God will meet you and God will provide for you and God will lead you. And that's a beautiful example of what we see here. Here he is. It's just coincidentally, the man that he wanted to meet in this city, to have come to that very gate. Notice that Boaz wasn't trying to figure it out. He went where he was supposed to be, and he trusted God would move everything else in the right time and path. Is that a good word for us today? Where God guides, he provides. 
where God leads, we follow. And that's exactly what we see here. He, it's beautiful. This close relative comes up and, oh, you just happen to be sitting there. Now, another thing in the language, in the, in the Hebrew originally, it gives us this idea, and I've heard it in a commentary said this way. It's Mr. You. Now, the reason you was inserted there is because at the time, we know exactly, or Boaz knew exactly who this gentleman was, and he knew his name. But because of what's going to unfold in chapter 4, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, that his name would not be recorded for all of eternity because of what he's about to do. When he, when he thinks he's about to get some land, he's like, I'll take it. And then when he finds out he has to give that land, that inheritance down to his brother's child that way, I don't want it. He doesn't want to fulfill his obligations under the Levitical or the Levite marriage. So God graciously has removed this man's name. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and he sat down. And he took 10 men, again, very significant. You needed 10 men. They would gather, and this is for witnesses. This is how everything was done. It, it's not like we do today where, you know, they did have seals and they did have those things. But you needed 10 men, and you needed men of authority, that they were able to bear witness to what was said so that if anybody came back, because you're talking about a transaction that's about to take place, not for Ruth, but for the land. And oh, by the way, as part of that, also in, involves a Levitical marriage, or Levite marriage, okay? So, so this is important. So that way, generation after generation, it could never have been said, oh, this was improper, or no, this land isn't. Because remember, how many, after how many years was the land given back? 50, remember? Jubilee, every 50 years, that land would go back to the original inheritor of that land. They had a right to buy back or lease back. Ultimately, through sacrifice, through tithe, through offering, they leased the land, Israel, from God. Ultimately, if you remember Leviticus and we read our book of Numbers and we saw the, the thing, you know, that the Lord did with the land, that he gave it to Israel. That's why it belongs to Israel today. It was a covenant. It was established. No president, no legislature gets to determine that Israel's what percentage of the land. They, it's God's, and God is the one that has given it to Israel. So he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. Now, he doesn't just mean elderly, <laughs> he doesn't mean elderly men. <laughs> he means one of reputation, overseers, leaders within the community. And they just happened to be what? Gathered around. God did everything. Friends, God is doing that right now in your life. God is orchestrating movement in every aspect of your life. Divine providence and anointing. He says, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, this close relative would have known that. This is for our, this is for us here. He would have understood that. He was a close relative. He would have very well known that. He knew that 
They left the house of bread. They went down to Moab. He knew exactly what happened to his brother, that his brother would have died there. He knew that his brother would have had two sons. They both had died there 10 years later from him. So he's well aware of this. He, this is for our advice. He's saying that, remember, this is a close relative to Elimelech. Now, it doesn't mean it necessarily is his biological blood brother. It, it could have been an uncle. It could have been a cousin. We don't really know. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. So he said, it just, I thought I'd let you know these things so that you understood there's an opportunity for you to buy this land back. Now, it's interesting where Boaz begins. He begins by establishing the fact that his brother, their brother, is dead. And therefore, because he's dead and the land has been sold, he's establishing Deuteronomy and the fact that a Levitical marriage and inheritance is in order because there was none, no next of kin to carry the name for Elimelech's children were both dead. And he says, do this in the presence, in front of, in the inhabitants of the elders of my people, my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is one, no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And so he doesn't give much thought to this, we're going to read. He, Boaz is saying, look, out of respect, you are the next closest. If you would choose to redeem this right now, then redeem it. Make it well known before all of the ten elders before you. Let it be so. Let it be said. Let it be done. But if not, I want you to know I plan to redeem that land. That's what Boaz is saying. He says, this man that we, Mr. You know, so and so or whoever, he says, I'll redeem it. He knew Naomi. Naomi was already mentioned. Remember that? And he says, Naomi is alive. She sold the land, our brother Elimelech. So he knew full well that if he bought that land, he was going to have to do what? Marry Naomi. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. But Naomi's beyond what? Child-bearing age. So here's what he's thinking, and this is why his name, I believe, through the Holy Spirit is not preserved here for eternity because everybody would be like, you are the guy, you know, the grace of God. Um, because ultimately what would have happened is he would have married Naomi. He already had his first wife, right? And his children, that land, after Naomi died, I, I don't know how else to say it, the inheritance would go into his family and his children would profit from it. That's what's happening here. That's the transaction that this man is saying, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. Now, Boaz, being led by God, says, but wait a minute, Mr. So-and-so. There's one important detail. Maybe I left that out. 
Now, this is all the elders watching this. You have to understand, the elders, the leaders of that city, all looking at the character reference of this man right before them. Think about this for a minute, how humiliating this would be. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Oh, by the way, there's one more detail there. Ruth, and she is of childbearing age. Well, now that changes the whole transaction, doesn't it? Because if he turns around and he redeems the land, I mean, hold your finger here. What is it, Deuteronomy, I think, chapter 25, if I'm not mistaken? Look at um, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. Very well in the law, very well known. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. If, a brother, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside of the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as a wife, and perform the duty. Now, the order is important. It's not saying that it's, he's to marry her first. I get questions about this. He's to marry her first, then he is to go ahead and, through the leading of the Lord, have a child. And that child is to take the name of the dead brother, not the name of the gentleman that's redeeming or marrying this woman, Okay and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And that's really the point. Because everything ties back to the inheritance that way. Because that was their, the law, and that was the system that God had established in Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate, we see it again, to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Quite an insult. He basically is saying, I refuse to do what's best for the nation and the family that I belong to. Because the inheritance of the land and the propagation of that land to God's chosen people was to continue to be passed on generation after generation. And someone not willing to fulfill that was going to ultimately do what? Stop or cease or secede that, that next generation of inheriting what was once a particular tribe or people's land that God had given them and God had established. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, he can't be convinced, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, very disrespectful, spit in his face, I'm, I can't imagine, uh, and answer and say, and to repeat this, you know, she would, so it shall be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Can you imagine looking at... The, you're the wife, and you look at, or the, the, you know, the widow, and you look at the, your brother's, you know, brother-in-law that way. You know, 
so it shall be done to the brother who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who has his sandal removed. To us, we're like, so what? Very disrespectful. In that, in that country, it meant you were, you were walking away from your obligation. You were walking away from your family. You were denying your own family. You were denying your own bloodline. Very disrespectful. Not fulfilling God's law. Okay. You can turn back. So this is all built into this here. So this is what's happening in essence. This man that's there, Mr. So-and-so, is aware of the law. So he is now in his mind going, I will now have to marry Ruth. I will now go into Ruth. We'll have a child, Lord willing, and that child will now carry the name of Elimelech. And now once that happens, my wife at home with our kids, when I go to them and said, we just spent X amount of money to redeem a land, and oh, by the way, it's not going to be passed on to you, honey, or our biological kids, but it's going to be going to this family, my brother's kid. It's plural, right? You can imagine, I, I imagine the wife probably not excited about this. What? What are you doing? You're taking my kid's money, money out of our pockets, out of our mouths, and you're going to do what with it? And you're going to go into who? And you're going to have children, and, and you're taking out of my kid? I mean, really, just so we don't read this and go, oh, okay, no, it's a big deal. So this man's right here, he's saying, I don't know. So Boaz says, but there's Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through the inheritance. And the closer relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest, and he's honest about it, I ruin my own inheritance. Not striking, is it, though? that he was willing to put himself and his own family first. Jesus Christ said, I, I've come and I've given you a new commandment. What was that new commandment, family, friends? What was that new commandment? To not love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't the new commandment. To love your neighbor as I, Jesus, have loved them. And how did Jesus love them? How did Jesus love you? He died for you. He was willing to give up everything for you. He was others-focused. It wasn't about him getting ahead. It, it was about the benefit and care for other people. You know, we see this race relations. We see all of these things, gender equality. We see all of these things happening before us. And I, and I continue to say it from the pulpit. I believe it's a spiritual problem. Because when you know Jesus Christ and you are all in, you are putting others first. And you begin to look at people with the lens of Jesus Christ. Spiritual 2020. And you have a love 
for someone that you might have just met that normally you might have looked at and said, I don't know who you are. But Jesus said, your neighbor. He didn't even just say, oh, by the way, born-again believers. Wait a minute. Pastor, are you saying we're, we're actually be kind and others focused for even those that don't acknowledge Jesus Christ? You mean Mormons, the, the cult people? Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah. So when they come and they, you know, they ride the bike and they come with the little names, how about bringing them a cup of lemonade? Sit down outside and talk. Let's open our Bibles together. Let's, let's see what the word of the Lord has to say. You will win more people to Christ with love than you will with dogma. You always will. Compassion will always trump. Well, this man clearly makes his calling and election sure, you might say. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and he gave it to the other as a sign of an agreement. If he had to take it off and he gave it to the woman, sign of a lack of agreement, right? Or a disvowing of an agreement or not agreeing to something. And this was confirmation in Israel. Today, we handshake, right? I don't even know if they do that anymore. Now I think they just take things in with a pen and sign a document and docu-sign it, and you send it back, and you docu-sign it. Next thing you know, it's in your inbox. But I remember going out, my father very clearly told me, son, whenever you stand before somebody, male or female, you look them in the eyes, you put your hand out, and you shake their hand. If they're a female, you tighten enough or you don't hurt. With a man, you make sure he knows you're there. That's what my father taught me. And your word is your word. And my father wasn't a believer. And he understood simple principles. Simple principles of honor, respect, trust, dignity. Let your yes be yes, as Jesus said, and your no be no. Well... At that time, they didn't shake hands. They gave you a sandal. So you took the sandal. I don't know what you did with it. Maybe you gave it back and said, that's a very nice sandal. And then you gave him your sandal. I don't know how it worked, but there was a sandal exchange. Therefore, today, you know, I think of President Bush, how many number of years ago, remember that? They're throwing sandals at him, you know. He was like, I agree with you too. I want to be your friend. No, I'm teasing you. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So now he says, now, Boaz, what are you going to do? Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, where your sandal is, that's right. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day. Now, you have to imagine when he's at this point, inside of Boaz, he's giddy like a little boy because he's going to get the most beautiful woman that he's ever seen as he, he probably dreamed of just this time where he would, you know, be able to go home and, and say, you know, the Lord has united us in a holy matrimony, one flesh. I'm, I'm sure he, he longed for this. And, and probably there was a little bit of, uh, Lord, how's this going to work out? I mean, 
I don't want to knock them off, but I, I, I want to marry her. You know, no, I'm, Boaz would never have spoke that way. But, but certainly, have you or would you have thought that way about getting what you wanted? What would you do to get what you want? I want us to all think about this and how we line up as a character reference to a man like Boaz. Jesus tells us, examine our own hearts, and he won't have to examine us. So Boaz said to the elders with all the people, you are witness today. I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Mathon's from the hand of Naomi. Chilion's was, remember, Orpah? That was his wife. And Mahalon was Ruth. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahalon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses to this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. I mean, I can't imagine what a testimony this had to be to a wicked generation, to a wicked nation who's doing what's right in their own eyes, and much like Mr. So-and-so, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, I would have done what Mr. So-and-so just did. No way! But Boaz was willing to stand alone at the gates. He was willing to stand in righteousness. He was willing to stand in the gap. Even if it meant everyone else around him forsake the one true living God... As we read in the book of Judges, there was no king, not just talking about a monarchy, it's talking spiritually, there was no one that was worshipped as God, king, lord, a theocracy. So you find yourself here tonight, maybe at your workplace maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your association, your club, maybe where you frequent at the store. You look around and all you hear is profanity. All you hear is evil or see evil workings. And you begin to think to yourself, is there no one? Am I the only one? And, and for a minute, you actually get down. You actually get overwhelmed. You start, to, you start to, Lord, why would you put me in a place like this where, I mean, Lord, you send out two by two. Where's the two by two? Am I the only one? I want you to look into your scriptures really close. I want you to think of the prophets. We're going to get ready to move into that age of the prophets. I already mentioned that. We're coming to Samuel, 1 Samuel. If it's just you, are you willing to stand in the gap with God? If it was just you and Christ, is it enough? Can you find joy? 
Can you, can you find contentment? Can you find purpose? Boaz wasn't worried about what everybody else was doing. Boaz was too busy keeping his eyes on God. And he wasn't looking at what all the nation was doing in the backsliding and the idolatry. He was too busy focusing on the king. The king that nobody else saw. The king that nobody else wanted to worship. That's who Boaz was focused on because that's where his allegiance belonged. For him, it was one nation under God, indivisible. Liberty, justice, and redemption. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? The United States of America today. We find ourselves, how many thousand years later, in the very place in this chapter in Scripture where we are, our nation today. Just like the time of the judges. Do you think God's caught off guard? Do you think God went before Calvary Chapel here perfectly timed, knew exactly when the pandemic and all of the political nonsense would go on and striving and, quite honestly, bureaucracy and people looking for a political savior rather than the savior. And that Jesus Christ would have us to go through this very passage tonight that you would be alive, that you would be here, that you would be witnesses to the very things that we're reading, that you would be able to walk out of this building tonight and look at a world that looks just like the world that you're reading about right now. And yet there was a man, there was a woman. They met at the gates because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Praise the Lord. We're alive for just a time such as this. I'm excited. I'm not excited to see Isaiah 5 come to fulfillment and prophecy of evil being called good and good evil. I'm excited to live as I read, as I breathe, as I see these. If I go home with the Lord tonight, Lord, you gave me the most amazing action sermon I've ever seen in my life. I walked out of my door and I was in the book of Ruth because I stand before Boaz's. I stand before Ruth's. There are Naomi's in here. Widows that are standing in righteousness. We need good news. We need perspective. We need a biblical, we need a biblical lens. If not, 
We're going to be crunched up in the balls, in our bed, unwilling to get out of bed. There's good news in the book you hold before you. We win. If you haven't read the whole Bible yet, I ruined it for you, but it's the best thing I ever could have ruined for you. We win. It's done. So all these people at the gate, they're witnesses. They're seeing these things. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. Do you you hear that? I'm not sure Ruth at that moment would have been like, ah, how many children? Twelve? What? You know, between Leah and Rachel, six and I, uh, one, Obed, right? How about Obed, right? That's good. (laughs) Somebody like that, right? Perez, whatever, right? What they're saying is that may she be fruitful. That's what she's pointing to, or they're pointing to, these leaders. May, May she be fruitful, that you may prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Now, I want you to hold your finger on verse 11. And I want you to turn just very carefully to verse 17. If, it, if it's on the same page, praise the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead for a minute. I, I, I normally don't do that. We go line by line and verse by verse. But, but I, sometimes, I don't know about you, I like to eat the apple pie before my vegetables. Sometimes I like to eat the apple pie before even the, the meat, right? I like the dessert. I like the fruit. Also the neighbor of a woman who gave him a name saying, this is born the son of Naomi. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of King David. King David. Now, when we think of Bethlehem today, and Ephrath, Ephrath, right? Who do we think about when we think of Bethlehem in our Bible? Jesus. Do you see how prophetic this is? Because the line that Jesus came through was the line of David, the line of Judah. And it says right here, Ephrath, and be famous in Bethlehem. Famous in Bethlehem. Famous in the house of bread. Famous. The house of bread would be famous because the son of God, the, the bread of life, would come to Bethlehem. And the whole world, thousands of years later, we all know it. And even the unbeliever knows it. This is prophetic and it's fulfilled. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, you might be going, whoa, what? Hang on. Tamar was a prostitute. Uh, or no, sorry. I was, yeah, she was a harlot, right? No, wait a minute. I'm screwing that up. Tamar was the, the daughter. She was widowed. Pardon me. I was having a moment there. She was widowed, right? But do you remember Judah? He turned around and he said he was going to, his first son died, his second son died, and he was supposed to turn around and get... 
give another child. And then what happens? She tricks them. She goes in. And they have this child, right? And what do you think God is showing us here? That in some ways, although illegitimate, it was a Levitical marriage in some ways. It was a Levitical practice because there was no child to keep the name of Judah's son because the sons died. So Tamar, now again, not God's intended way at all. God would have provided a different way, certainly. But God, through a direct, indirect way, ended up taking this Levitical marriage, this consummation, this birth that way, the child that would come forth, that would also be listed in the lineage and you know, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so they're pointing back to the fact that there was a Levitical or Levite marriage, and so they're pointing back here to the Levite marriage of Tamar. Is what they're, they're trying to point back to that and say, and be blessed that way because of Perez and all that came from that. Because the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. You, you're tracking with me there? So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Can you imagine? He goes home. And he prepares, he cleans up, freshens up, gets another shoe, puts a sandal on, doesn't hop his way over, he makes his way over there. He goes to Naomi's house, and he says, I'm here to redeem. The bridegroom has come, the kinsman redeemer, to be with the bride. What a beautiful picture of what we await right now. The rapture of, you know, the rapture of the bride of Christ by Jesus Christ. You and I, the bridegroom, coming for his bride. So he, he arrives, and when he went to her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore some, please notice that. The Lord gave her a child. The, the Lord, God is better than any fertility clinic you can ever go to. God is better than any fertility clinic. Pray, ask, wait, and receive. She bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, now notice that. Here's Ruth. She just had the baby. She's, you know, ladies, I don't know what it's like. I've only been a, you know, an observer. I've not, you know, my wife or children. She was like, what do you want to name him? Like, baby, whatever you want to name that child right now, honey. Whatever, you, what do you want? You want it? What do you want, Lee? Anything. You name it. It's yours. You name it. We'll get it. I mean, at that moment, she could have said anything. I, I, after what I saw that woman's work, what, after what I saw that woman do, it, it's the Lord. I don't have, I mean, I get kidney stones, and they said, oh, it's, it's relative. I don't know. I get, I get in a lot of pain, but I don't get a roared. You know, I don't get anything at the end where it's like, oh, hold the baby, you know. <laughs> no, no. 
I got a jar I can shake up and down with stones, you know. Yeah, I wrecked it for some of you. <laughs> but the woman said to Naomi, bless the Lord. Naomi, what? They look right to Naomi. Naomi, bless you. Ruth's like, you know, they didn't have epidurals. They didn't have, you know, drugs and all that to take back then. You know, Ruth's like, she's still practicing the, you know, the, the breathing. She's just got through the breathing thing. And she's, you know, and, and they're like, Naomi, you're so blessed. You know, she's having one of those moments. I, I don't know what else to say. I just thought, I, I, every time I've come to this passage, I read it, I always thought in my heart, I'm like, Lord, even at this point, we see the beautiful character of Ruth. Because you mamas know out there, you'd have been like, hey, wait a minute. I don't live in that baby. Give me that baby. Blessed is Naomi. I'm blessed. Give me that sandwich. I laugh. I'm going to tell a story. This is why I said sandwich. So my wife, you know, we, she's grew up in the Bronx. We're from New York. She loves it when I don't talk. I, we have a rule at the house. We're supposed to talk about these things before I, I, they go on the air and everything like that. I screw it up every time. Every time. But you know what? We're a family. So you're all in. So bear, get, get up. So here's what happened. So, so we're going to the hospital. I can't remember which one this is out of the four. Her friend Franny says, I'm going to come over afterwards. You come to the hospital. I'm going to see you visit and everything. You know, normal stuff you do when somebody's got a baby and they're born. So I, I'm sitting there, you know, after every time I always got like, you know, I got to sit down. You know, I'm sitting down. My wife's like, are you all right there? Can, can we get you something, some juice? Can we help you blood sugar? You know, as I just went, no. So she's turning around. She's afterwards. Her reward, though, is it was, uh, it was called, I think it was a rich man, poor man. Or what you want, the burjut or was it the salami? Salami. She loves salami sandwiches, real salami, the good stuff. So she turns, not like the, anyway. So <laughs> she turns around. She's in the hospital. Franny comes in, and she's got this big salami sandwich. And she's eating this salami. She's loving it. Everything is good. Anything my wife could have wanted at that moment, a salami sandwich. I, I, I married up. I'm, I'm, I married up. But I want you to think about what Ruth was thinking at this moment. How would we all react? What if we're working on a project at work and we did all the hard work and the heavy lifting? What if we own a business or we run a business and we're the ones that's balancing the, balancing the you know, the, the profit P&L loss statement. How are we doing this year? You know, all the things that you all do day in and day out, I hear about it when you come in and you talk with us in the office. and con All the things that I hear about, all the amazing things that all of you do here. I mean, really, amazing when I hear about how you, you all do what you do every day. What if you submit the proposal, you do all the right stuff, and the guy that just happens to be sitting next to you that you're training, right, or that you're kind of working with, and they come up and they promote him, and they turn around and slap him on the back and say, good job, buddy, you did it. You did everything. You know, you did great. And I want you to think about, be honest, because it's all happened to us in different ways and capacity in our lives. What's the natural instinct inside of us? He didn't do anything. What do you mean? Right? The flesh starts to rise up, doesn't it? And we start to go, but wait a minute. 
even if we don't say anything out loud, the mere thought we have in our minds, but I? We read nothing of that of Ruth. She doesn't even have an ill thought towards Naomi. She's not trying to be the center of the attention. She's not trying to in any way receive any glory or credit. A beautiful picture of true humility. True humility. The absence of pride. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. Notice they're not saying, Hey, Mara! Bitterness. Remember that was her name? She, she came back. They're not saying, hey, Mara. No, hey, Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative that may his name be famous in Israel. Because even Naomi is receiving blessing because of her faithfulness. Just to think somewhat 15 maybe 17 years before that, she followed her husband down to Moab because of fear of famine and the fact that God would not provide. She left the house of bread to go to a pagan foreign land where her husband thought all his problems would be solved. And then she was widowed, and then she lost her boys, more than many of us could ever handle. She comes back to Israel, specifically Bethlehem. She sees everybody that she grew up with. They all remember her. They all know her story. She went out full. She came back empty. That's her words. And now she was bitter. Call me Mara. But the story wasn't over. The account wasn't through. Most of us stop right there. We're widowed. We're abandoned. We're, we lose our jobs. We're sick. The, the, but the, the story's not over. There's more work to be done in this city. There's more work to be done in that city. And here she is. Now, several years later, a grandma, a grandma holding this beautiful baby. I, I pray the Lord doesn't tarry and he comes back soon. But if he should tarry, I, I see some of you, you know, I, I work very closely with Pastor Bill, you know, he's in Gene, they have grandbabies. Uh, Tammy and, pa and Pastor Steve, they have grandbabies. And, you know, we're, we're at that point where one of ours is getting old enough that in a couple of years, Lord willing, we're going to have grandbabies. And I, I, I start to think about that. I can, I, can, I can say, this was fun. I sugar them up, and then I give them back. I give them back. I get them really going. 
I tell him to say all the things to dad that he forgot he said to me. I get to feed them things that they shouldn't eat. I get to hug them and hold them. Naomi's blessed. You can't outgive God. Wow. Never left you. His name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. She's like, oh, now you remember me. Right? No, she doesn't say that. Ruth doesn't say that anywhere here. Who is better to you than seven son had borne him. Now, this, this, is, this is important what she's saying, okay? In Israel at that time, when you had a child, that was a blessing as the scriptures teach. Children are a heritage of the Lord. That is why abortion is such an abomination, okay? Because children are a heritage to the Lord. Now, at that time, unlike today... There was the idea of being barren. This is not, I'm going to say, uh, uh, not, it does not carry a stigma today. It's not associated in the culture today, right? There's many people that do not want to have children today, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's many people that cannot have children today for whatever reason. Again, nothing wrong with that, right? Many times we adopt. Many times we invest in other family, other children. Beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. But at that time, remember, they were still working in the ideas of the patriarchs. You know, if something bad happened to you, you must have sinned, right? Think of the, you know, antediluvian, you know, think, think of Job and, and, and everything that went on with that. Job, what did you do? Some friends you have, Job. You know, with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? What did you do, Job? You got a disease, you're sick, you lost your children, you lost your everything but your wife. Right? The one that says, curse God and die. So, is it any coincidence that as we pick up in the verse, the book of Samuel, which, by the way, please remember, Samuel, first and second, Kings, that was all one together. That's broken out in our canon, and I think rightfully so inspired, but originally it was not broken out. There was no breaking out of the books of 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd, that didn't exist that way. It was all one uh, book, if I can say it that way, that would have been together. But we're going to be introduced to Elkanah. We're going to be introduced to who? A couple women, right? One has children, one doesn't. And the stigma, right? Hannah. She wants a child. I say all this because what was being said in verse 15 is to have a son meant at that time in the culture, you were significantly blessed. God had shown favor to you by giving you a male child. All children are heritage from the Lord, but a male child meant you were very blessed at that time. And to have seven male children would have been the culmination of blessings. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings. And she's saying here, 
that you have a daughter-in-law that has been better to the very best, best, the very best blessing you could have gotten through seven male children. That's the kind of blessing that Ruth was to Naomi. And through that came and was born this beautiful child, Obed. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and began to nurse him. Now, this is not saying, I mean, Naomi's beyond childbearing years. This is not saying that she was feeding the child. At that time, you would have a nurse or a care nurse, as they would call it, or, or someone that would care for the child. In other words, help to raise the child with you, right? So help to, at times of uh, a, a child being unsettled, they would hold the child today, you know, and be constantly available to the needs of the child. We still see it in many cultures today, by the way. If you go to some, uh, I think of India, I think of different places, they will still um, do that very thing. Uh, a lot of times they'll swaddle the child and they'll keep the child very close to the mother or the, 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 the care nurse like that. And they'll be kind of wrapped together and they'll, they'll sleep that way up until sometimes three and four years old to have that intimacy, that care, that touch from the child to the mother or to a caring, loving heart. And so this is what Naomi was. She became this nursemaid, so to speak, but not one to actually feed the child because people have got to this point when I thought she was beyond, that's not what this is saying. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, no, I, poor Boaz, he's out in the field, he's working, Hey, Ruth is in labor. She's, she's uh, all right, let's go, let's go. And he's booking it to get there. And, you know, it's not like today where, he, you know, he jumped in the car, started the car, drove to the hospital. No, he's, he gets to the area where the, 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 the wives aren't ready to deliver, you know, the, the child that way. And, uh, you know, I forget the term for it. What is it called? Uh, the, the, the woman that will deliver the baby. Midwife, thank you. I couldn't remember. Sorry, blanking out here. The midwife is, you know, having the, getting ready to deliver the baby and the whole thing. And and so Boaz is booking it out of the field. He's he's you know he's trying to get there as fast as he can, whether it's on a animal or whatever. He gets there and he walks in. Oh, hey Boaz, good to see you. We've named the child. What? Why is that a big deal? Because in that day. And even as we read the New Testament, it was the father's responsibility or opportunity to name the child. It was the father that named the child. So Boaz gets there, and all the neighbors, and the neighbor's wives are like, hey, Boaz, good to see you. We already named him. Where were you? <laughs> Working in the field, huh? You know, you know how that goes. Where were you? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So we read... And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Do, do you see that? Naomi's a great-great-grandmother, right? Beautiful. Now, this is the genealogy, and I think it's interesting. It goes back to the book of Genesis. It says, this is the genealogy of Perez. 
Genesis, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's about Genesis 37. You can be Bereans on that, but it goes back to that time and says, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Now, Salmon, that name is familiar. Who was Salmon married to? That's right, Rahab the harlot. Who was Boaz's dad? Solomon. Who was Boaz's mom? Rahab the Canaanite. As Boaz was growing up and he was being told, hey, son, you know, mama was a Canaanite. And maybe mama talked to him. You know, maybe Rahab turned around and says, Honey, when you give God, when you give God your heart, there's nothing he can't do. He'll save the Gentile. He'll save anyone if you just give him your heart. And so Boaz grew up with that understanding. Coincidentally, that just happened to be his mom, right? That he grew up with that kind of a beautiful, I'm being, you know, he grew up beautifully understanding that God desires to save. And he didn't look upon a foreigner or anyone differently. He looked at everyone as God's creation with the opportunity to be God's child. And so Boaz perfectly fit that when Ruth comes, the Moabitess, and it keeps saying that in the book, doesn't it? So we don't forget that he'll save the Gentile so that Boaz can turn around and remember his mother and now look to his wife and look to God and say, my God saves. And because of the faithfulness of Boaz, because of God's faithfulness to Rahab and Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David. And then we end at King David, which eventually Jesus Christ comes through that genealogy. It's quite miraculous and beautiful to see the, the genealogies you studied as we've been going through the, the Old Testament, starting in the book of Genesis, we made our way all the way, you know, all the way to Ruth. Now we're going to 1 Samuel. And to see how God has orchestrated all of this in spite of humanity, in spite of humanity, how he does it. And you know what? He's orchestrating his plan in our lives today in spite of humanity. Friends, I know we're suffering. I know some of us are suffering. I know there's heartache. I know there's sickness. I know there's, you know, there's a lot of people that are suffering. But I want you to know something. Don't forget this, please. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Don't make the mistake. You know, we all have those Naomi moments. Call me Mara, right? Call me bitterness. But the story isn't over. The account's not done. Do you think that Rahab, by the way, 10 generations here, I don't know if you picked that up, 10 generations, 
And that's significant because in Scripture, it said there had to be 10 generations, right, before Gentile. You go back and be Bereans and look at that. But it's significant what God is showing us, that he can work through any willing heart and vessel. And he desires to save everyone. Not just someone that looks a certain way, dresses a certain way, talks a certain way, or speaks a certain way. He desires to save everybody. We belong to the family of God. We're children of God. And soon and very soon, Jesus Christ is coming for us. He's going to take us home. And we're never going to have any of the worries and the fears and the diseases and the pestilence and all the things that we are living with in a fallen world, even though we're saved, we're holy, we're set apart. But we still live in a lost creation, still groans. But soon and very soon, friends, we're going home. Are your bags packed? You got oil in your lamp, speaking spiritually of the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to go home tonight? Is your house in order? Have you put your house in order? Have you gone through and and allowed the Lord to be your everything? Are you holding anything back? Is there something you're still trying to keep from Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. I'd like to ask the musicians to come forward, or the musician, singular. <laughs> let's stand if you are you're able to, and let's worship our King. Good study in the, in the book of Ruth, amen? All right, we're going to be going into, again, 1 Samuel. Start with an introduction, but we'll probably get into a few verses because we're, we're really right in the same time of the book of Judges, so we don't need an exhaustive introduction, I don't believe. We'll be able to start right in and go line by line pretty quickly because we're in the same time period, okay? Father, we thank you. Lord, you are king of all. We thank you that, Lord, even though we're living in the days of the judges again, Lord, you are king, and we see the king, Jesus, and we worship you, Lord, in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray, make us all like you, Lord. Continue to conform us and transform us into your likeness and image. Lord, we, we'd want to be Boaz's. Let our daughters be Ruth's, our son be Boaz's, and our men, our ladies, let them be Naomi's, Lord. Pour out your favor and blessing and healing upon your church. Lord, many of us need healing. Heal your bride. We believe. God, have your way in us. We know you're coming and we, but we anticipate it. We're expectant. We're ready. It's, it's so close. Jesus, come. Maranatha, Jesus, come. But Lord, not our will, your will be done. 
few should tarry, strengthen us here tonight that we will never leave our first love. We pray for our country, our president, our governors, our leaders, Lord. I pray for the church, Lord, your body, and for the pastors, Lord, that you've raised up. I pray for the neighbors and the communities and right here in Camp Hill, Lord, in the Harrisburg proper area, Lord. I, I pray you just wash, cleanse, and anoint your people. Because God, as we've learned, if we took one thing from the book of Ruth, our God saves our God redeems. So praise you, Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen.